And this Go. ball in the air, deep right center Go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. And Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. to the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee, the greatest coffee in the world, which is also our deal of the week this week. Normally, we tell you to use code DNVR20 to get 20% off, but this week, it's going to get you 30% off, 30% off your entire purchase of that CBD-infused, deliciously rich, and potentially life-altering Strava Craft Coffee. Seriously, if you've ever been curious about CBD products, what it might do, it it has literally been a major benefit in my life. It's helped me with crashes and jitters. I drink a lot of coffee. I'm drinking some at 4 o'clock p.m. doing the show. I've got my Strava Craft Coffee. you got to have it ready to go. So we thank them. We love them. Use that promo code DMVR20. You get 30% off your Strava Craft Coffee order. I'm your host, Drew Kreisman. I'm the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. With me, as always, is Patrick Lyons. And on this episode, we are going to be speaking managers, the men who've managed the Colorado Rockies through good times and bad. Uh, I made a joke to you, Patrick. You know, as we talked about rookies yesterday. We're sort of following the unveiling this week of the awards. Rookie of the year was yesterday. Manager of the year is today. We're following suit, but giving it that Rockies flavor, a little purple coloring, if you will. And um, once we were done wrapping up the rookies, we, we were talking afterwards, you know, getting ready for the manager stuff. And I said, so you ready to talk about the five guys who have managed the Colorado Rockies over the years? And while the list may not be a long one, there are some great baseball men of the past couple of generations who've taken the helm of the Colorado Rockies. And this should be a really fun conversation. There's a lot of source of pride, I think, for Rockies fans. The fact that they've had one logo over the course of their 28 plus years. And I think the fact that there's only been seven managers, again, you can criticize that. But what you don't have is something that the New York Yankees have, which is a series of guys who managed for a handful of games in the middle of the season and then were fired and then were rehired like a Yogi Berra <laughs> and a Billy Martin. And so, again, it, it can be a source of pride to say, you know what, my owner does not just roll over on the wrong side of the bed and somebody is, is out of a job. Sometimes you might say, hey, that would be a good thing, Uh, but that kind of instability can create further instability. So props to to Dick Monford for that. These seven guys that we're going to run through, uh, some better than than others, but one thing that's (laughs) some fans may find interesting, but this is the category in which the Rockies have flourished most. With the single-season awards, uh, the Rockies have had two manager of the year awards and in fact there's been five of the seven managers have already received votes in manager of the year award so that's that's pretty good that's not a a very bad percentage i would say as far as the the guy that you have at the helm of your your 25 and now 26 man roster and of course we want to get your thoughts if you're joining us on uh, facebook or periscope if you're listening to the podcast remember we're live on facebook and periscope Every single day, Monday through Friday at 4.05 p.m. If you're joining us on Wednesday, then uh, you can also find us on YouTube. And uh, you can join us live and share your thoughts on who you think the best Rockies manager, or if you prefer, who the worst Rockies manager. Though, I don't know if there's too much competition for that. Well, actually, well, you know what? They're, they're probably – I take that back. I think we're going to have a little bit of a debate about – uh, who might be the worst, but let's, let's not start there. Nobody wants to start there. Let's talk about <laughs> Patrick, the best managers 
in Rockies history. The guys who've walked away with a little bit of hardware. Well, that first man with with hardware uh, is is the first guy in the Rockies organization to win one of these major. Uh, singular person awards. And that was Don Baylor back in 1995, the Rockies' first postseason appearance in the strike-shortened season. Navigates them, again, as I said, to to that first-place finish. He actually ended up getting votes the previous two years. Now, if you're thinking, wait a minute, how, I don't know that that necessarily makes sense, especially when you go back and realize that that 1993 team uh, went 67 and 95 yet someone saw it fit oh, yeah. to yes put Don Baylor uh, on their ballot most likely just as a, as a third place vote kind of mind-blowing in a lot of ways he also finished fifth place in 94 to of course Felipe Alou who did an amazing job with the the Montreal Expos what could have been that uh, year for them Les Expos but in uh, 95 again it was Don Baylor there, who actually helped orchestrate the Rockies to one of their their best seasons as far as Pythagorean win loss difference. So he, they were expected to to have only so many wins. He helped navigate them to a record better than 500 that year when they should have been exactly at 500. There were 10 games over 500. So he gets a lot of credit with that. And Tommy Lasorda, who won the NL West with the LA Dodgers. He did not get a single vote. <laughs> like not first place. Talking about not second. Not third to. place. No acknowledgement whatsoever. Because it's like Tommy, you're going to the Hall of Fame. You we expect your your club to to do it. But the Rockies, oh my gosh, they came out of nowhere. Two big signings with Bill Swift and Larry Walker. And next thing you know, Rockies got their first postseason and they got their first major. Uh, award there for Don Baylor as manager of the year in 95. I mean, it, in a certain context, right, it, it looks very impressive for an expansion team to be in the postseason that quickly. Like you said, just a couple of years after they were abysmal, like in, in every measurable aspect of the game of baseball, uh, their, their two worst years on record in, in every measure, 1993, and 2020. Now, 2020, of course, they only played 60 games, and we've talked about that. But that's like those are that's as bad as they bookended it, I suppose, their entire history to this point. Um, but yeah, there, there's there's all of that. Um, there's also, and I, I don't want to throw too much negativity into the conversation right away, but a pattern you'll start to see emerge where when the Rockies outperform expectations, the bulk of the credit is given to the manager. Almost always, it's very rarely handed out to players. Uh, it happens occasionally. Um, you could certainly make the argument that, well, okay, now I'm, I'm going to mix them up. 95 was the Burks here, right? That that Ellis Burks got kind of hosed in terms of getting credit for that 1995, or was that the Bichette year? No, uh, Bichette, came in, Bichette came in second and Larry no, Walker came in seventh. Yeah. Yep. I, I knew I, I knew if I just took a name, I was going to get it wrong. It was the Bichette here. Yeah. Burks was 96. He came in third. Yeah. yeah. Um, so not, not that Baylor didn't deserve it. Probably didn't. Like you said, especially with the Pythag and um, especially because that team's, I think, defining attribute wasn't actually its offense as much as people want to talk about the Blake street bombers. And we've gone back and retroactively looked at this, the most important element of that team, certainly the best element of that team was its bullpen and uh, how a manager manages the bullpen. That's the one thing, especially back then he was not taking orders from upstairs and, and, and the numbers weren't automatically telling him who to put in the game. Whenever Don Baylor was making the decision from game to game, who to put out there and got extraordinary production out of that was, that was the best bullpen, not necessarily the deepest, but that was the best bullpen in Rockies history, 1995. It's, it's really hard to argue with that too, because if you go back and you, you sort, you know, the, the runs against for the Rockies, uh, it was the, the 10th best season of all time. Of course, 94 is in there, 2020 is in there because they played less games. So really you've got the eighth uh, least amount of runs scored and right. all of the years before them, or rather all the years that the Rockies gave up less runs, they were all post-Humidor. 
and yeah. all the the couple of handful of years that that followed just behind 95 again also post humidor so you you'd have to go really far down the list to find another season where rocky's pitching really was you know that consistent from a seasonal standpoint we know in colorado more than anywhere else you know that consistency can be you're lucky if it's for three straight games but over the course of a season hey you're you're going to take that six run outing by a relief pitcher over the course of you know two thirds of an inning and say that's fine we'll throw that out otherwise over the course of you know a 162 game season or or in this case you know 140 game season it was one of the best that that you're going to find around. Yeah, uh, and so again, I think I think earned th- this one for sure. And on the other side of it, obviously, nice that uh, again one of the great ambassadors of the game, uh, somebody who I've never found a person who's ever spoken an ill word about Don Baylor and people like to man, people like to, when they've got ill words to say about people in the game of baseball that they don't necessarily like, and they find you in a moment by the, in their own somewhere, they will tell you stuff about people they don't necessarily enjoy. And Don Baylor universally appreciated human being. Of course, you know, we, we all reminisce when he passed away just a, a few years ago and got to kind of look back at both his playing coaching and managing careers and uh, you know famous for getting hit a lot in the batter's box but he was he was a good ball player he, he wasn't just a guy who hung in there and and you know knew how to take one for the team uh he could put one over the fence for the team every once in a while too and just a, a great big papa bear the original and and i i think you know it's been said before and i'm, I'm not adding anything new here but it, it's worth saying again that there couldn't have been a more perfect first father figure for the Colorado Rockies, public face of the team, uh, a person to get them through the, what were going to be tough expansion years, somebody who could learn at this chaotic environment and take things in stride and and keep his guys calm, cool, and collected and and get the best out of the bombers and, and be a part of that whole thing. And it just he he was he was the perfect man. For the job and that he will go down in Rocky's history as inseparable from the organization, uh, I think is just tremendous. And he's certainly one of those players we touched on it last week when talking about Jorge De La Rosa. And sure, if you're not from this area, you, you don't know De La Rosa's value. But I think there's a lot of people outside this area that can go back and look at that time in, in the early to mid-90s of what Don Baylor meant to this organization. And you say he most certainly would have to be in that first class of Rockies Hall of Famers when the Rockies get their own team Hall of Fame. You know, there's been some discussion right. in the past about potentially even retiring You know, his number 25. They should. They really um, that, should. Yeah. And, and a lot of coaches have worn it kind of, I think, you know, maybe in tribute, uh, Butera wore it in, in 2019, uh, Matt Kemp recently wore it this year. So, uh, obviously a, a relationship to there between those African-American ball players. So, uh, that certainly could be one of those numbers that very justly you could say, you know, this guy had a huge importance and we don't talk about him enough and, and, and he should, you know, it, it never won a world series with Colorado, but broke through that, that ceiling and got Colorado, off and running with their their first postseason, you know, still you know won a game against Atlanta there, and and was the first ever wild card team. And and as you said, nobody has a bad word about him. He's just was a highly revered ball player, great manager, and one of the the funny little stats that I I, I researched for this this podcast was I, I went so far as to find out how many times. Rockies managers uh, had gotten ejected from games. Uh, oh. That might tell you a little idea how frustrated a guy is or, you know, how, I don't know, acerbic or vitriolic he can be. But mm-hmm. but Don Baylor is essentially at a, a standstill tie with one of the nicest guys in the game in Bud Black. And, and oddly enough, also uh, Walt Weiss. They, they were right around there. Every, about yeah. every 90 games, those guys would get thrown out. So not very often. Not right. very often. So, yeah, Don Baylor. A little, uh, <laughs> a little higher on that list, I guess. 
Number one might surprise you, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a teaser and tell you that every 22 games, this guy was thrown out. His average, yes. So I don't think I invented a stat, but I'm like, I want to know how many games per ejection. I don't know what you'd call I haven't that. I have heard that before. Yeah, the that, Weaver. I, I'm yeah. giving you credit for it until someone – yeah, the the Pinella or the – yeah, we'll have to find who, who actually leads in the stat and name it after them. But uh, I think yeah, Bobby Cox, I think – I think Bobby Cox has the all-time record for. Oh, that's right. Well, certainly he's he's got the uh, the counting stat lead, but not necessarily that's right. your new war. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I like it. I see where you're going. That you manage long enough, you're going to get tossed here and there, right? You gotta... <laughs> but yeah, no that that would be really fascinating. Before we move on from uh, Baylor, I also want to say, uh, you know, it, it shouldn't be discounted how big a deal it was for there to be a black manager in 1993. Like the first black manager in the national league didn't arrive until what the eighties. It was Frank Robinson in the, in the NL. It wasn't that long ago. Like it's, it's startling how, how not that long ago it truly was and how few uh, black managers there still are in the game of baseball. Um, and like no GMs and stuff like that, you know, it's been an ongoing conversation. So to, 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 again, have that be not just the guy filling out the lineup card every day, but the face of the Colorado Rockies for the first half decade of their existence, a little more than that even is uh, it's, it's important in addition to being awesome and just kind of dope. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I went to a symposium about 20 years ago where this was the topic, and I believe uh, former Mets third baseman Ed Charles, uh, African-American ball player who played with the Mets and is one of about almost literally six players who were African-American who played third base, I think, for even a, a, a relatively decent amount of time. I think Chris Nelson is even one of those guys from from the Rockies. Charlie Hayes, of course, another one. His son, Cabrian Hayes. Um, not very many. It's, it's just a, a weird position that there just hasn't been a lot of black ball players. Uh, but in that that symposium, you know, we, we talked about, man, someday is there going to be a, a black general manager? And at that point, there hadn't even been one. Yet in the in the early 2000s, so you're right. We still have a long way to go, and you know the NFL's got the Rooney Rule, where you know if there's a vacancy open, uh, you know right. for your for your head coach, you got to go out and and interview uh, a, a, someone who's who's from a minority, and just to keep it balanced and at least put them on the radar, so that somebody else goes, oh, this guy interviewed, you know, for the. Um, for the Philadelphia Eagles position, all right, let me bring him in when I have an opening, and, and it kind of, you know, um, puts a positive tag on a guy. And you know, we don't have that in baseball. I mean, we would like to think that, you know, the teams do, you know, proper diligence. Other times, there's a lot of cronyism where yeah. a guy says, "Hey, you know what? I used to pal around with this guy back in the '80s. I think I'm going to make him my manager, and I don't care if he's 76 years old, and I don't care if my current manager." got me to the playoffs for the first time in, in close to a decade and was nominated for manager of the year. I'm talking about Chicago White Sox. I was going to say, at some point that stopped being a hypothetical there, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Lyons. You know what? Um, I was about to toast my Breck brew of the day to who, whoever's next. Well, I know who's next on our, <laughs> on our manager. This might not list. be the best segue, come to think of it. But actually, no. I am toasting my Breck brew of today. Um, which I will, I will take up. I've got a hot peak IPA with my name on it mm. waiting for me as soon as we're done here. And I will toast that on this day to Sir Marcus Stroman for coming out yeah. on Twitter in no uncertain terms and saying unequivocally that he will not sign with the Chicago White Sox as long as Tony La Russa is the manager because Tony La Russa is the manager and very rarely, I mean, very rarely, Patrick, do players publicly take stances like that and come out and just take a potential avenue for money, especially in a time like this, off the board. A, a, a talented, we have talked about this, man, a young, talented, up and coming team that in any other circumstance, a player like Marcus Stroman would be thrilled to join. But how could you possibly, with the stuff coming out and more, you know, 
we're learning more stuff about the DUI. Tony LaRusso, we, we, we've talked about his um, insensitivity to, to racial justice and, and race issues over the years. And it's just, and Marcus Stroman saying, yeah, no, I'm not, I refuse to be associated with that in any way. And my morality and ethics matter more to me than my potential checkbook. I've always been a fan of Marcus Stroman, longtime listeners of the podcast. No, I've been, a, I've wanted the Rockies to acquire him for years and legitimately mad at them for not and i think that they had an opportunity to do so and now it's just like i'm even more a fan of this guy i couldn't i couldn't be prouder of my own fandom of of that young man yeah having a manager that's well regarded and respected in the game you you see the value of that and typically you, you Players don't come out publicly, but behind the scenes, of course, they might say certain things about different guys. Yeah. You know, they need to suck up or not. But Stroman's a free agent, and he's he's set for a decent little payday. But you know what? If he can maybe bring about some change by speaking publicly on, um, you know, managers that are not as inclusive as others, and that that again that that hits him in his wallet a little bit. He's putting his money where his mouth is quite literally. So, you know, kudos for Stroman and 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 kudos, you know, for the Rockies as, as we'll get to in the, the rest of this podcast for having a real good cast of of managers, I think, that were really all inclusive and, you know, did it did a great job with, with what they had and said, look, ball players are, are ball players. I don't care where they come from and, and what island or, or what their their cultural background is. We're baseball players. Let's all come together and let's unite. And that's definitely been a, a through line for, for Rockies managers. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, let's let's hop back into them. Let's get back to uh, the next step, we can just go in chronological order, honestly, at this point. I, I think it makes as much sense as anything. So um, I just missed. Oh, I totally got rid of my list. I've got the 1995. I've got the entire stats for the 1995 baseball team up here, though. So that's pretty cool. Well, after 98, um, uh, <laughs> they, they, they had a winning oh, record in right, 96. Rockies had a winning record in, in 96 and 97 with Don Baylor. So three consecutive years there, they took a little dip in, in 1998 and, and that was the end of Don Baylor. And that was also the end of Jim Leland in Florida had won a world series. The years prior was not very happy and rightfully so that all his best players were being traded away. And in, uh, in probably one of the first times I had ever heard the phrase fire sale, you know, I know Montreal had kind of done it here and there, but it really got, you know, supplanted in my, you know, memory banks, if you will, as a, as a baseball fan and a historian with those early uh, 1997 Florida Marlins. So uh, Dick Monfort kind of puts his money where his mouth is and says, hey, man, I, I, I got a team that's uh, we've had a winning record over the course of the last four seasons collectively. And they go out and they sign a, a pretty hot free agent, I would I would say. Again, yeah. came off the World Series only a year prior. And yeah. they signed Jim Leland to a three-year contract. And after one year, Jim Leland says, you can keep that money, Dick. Uh, I, I, I'm good. I'm out. And, and, and quits. Leaves after, a three, after the year one of a three-year deal. Tapped out. So <laughs> this, is why, this is why I was saying I, I wouldn't think there'd be too much argument because I think in most people's minds, Jim Leland is the worst manager in Rockies history for that defining attribute that he very clearly didn't want to be here. And before he even actually was able to leave, it was clear, you know, I, I there's a defining image in my mind. I don't even know if it actually exists, but of Jim Leland just, looking around the ballpark, like what in the, you know, just, just totally befuddled at what was playing out before his eyes. And I remember there being so much excitement going into that move for all the reasons you said the team had been good. He had been great. They thought, all right, this is the guy that's going to give, get him over the top. He's going to figure out a way to get the most out of these young players, the way he did there in Miami. And he just got here and was like, what in the world is going on? Like he maybe less than anybody in the history of the Colorado Rockies. I mean, Jeremy Guthrie is in this situation, is in this conversation too, but 
could not adapt to Coors Field. I guess Brian Shaw, right? If we did our like top five, our power rankings of the five guys who adapted to Coors Field the worst. You know, Brian Shaw, Jeremy Guthrie, um, Danny Nagel, Jim Leland. Like he just, he was clearly overwhelmed by it. And I've, I've never seen like, you know, managers, you can kind of look at them sometimes over there were times where you thought Don Baylor was going like, you know, we've seen it with Bud Black. There are times where Bud Black is going, I'm not going to say it out loud, but what, you know, but Jim Leland, it was just, he, he was defeated halfway through the season. And as you said, didn't come back for another. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, it, it's hard to blame him, but I also think it's one of the, the the big pieces of evidence that reminds everyone, like sometimes stuff that works really well in other places doesn't necessarily work here. And it's not because Jim Leland was a terrible manager. He objectively was not. Jim Leland was a great manager, but here, terrible by his own admission. Would couldn't didn't even think that he could figure it out over the next two years. Like just quit on it. So like it's not an easy problem to solve. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, it was outside of that that initial season in '93. Um, over the course of that next decade, those next ten years from '94 to 2003, that 1999 season was the only time they lost 90 games. It was also the only time. You sitting down for this, Drew, and anyone else listening out there? I know there's many of you. You oh, should man. be sitting down. It's the only time the Rockies have surrendered 1,000 runs. Oh, my. They oh, actually my. gave up 1,028 runs that season. Unbelievable. Like a lot. Ne- yeah. It's just <laughs> – Never, never been matched. Leland was Leland was a, a pitcher's manager. Like he called, considered himself a pitching guy, and uh, and I think by all all accounts he was. If you go back and look at what he did with with a lot of those uh, Pirates pitching staffs in in the late '80s, early '90s, and but yeah, just just didn't have it. And I mean, I, I'm sure he also couldn't breathe. For anyone who doesn't know that, one of the most notable things about Jim Leland is he smoked profusely. Yeah. In the dugout. In fact, when when I did a search last night, I said I want to see how prevalent there's photographs of him, and you can see him afterwards. So even after quitting the the Rockies, he still ended up, you know, getting a, a job in baseball and and managed the Tigers, won the AL pennant with them twice that next decade. But you can just see him in in the dugout in spring training with his you know legs crossed, just with a heater right in his hand, just going to town and oh, looking boy. like looking like he was 70 20 years ago and you go wait a minute tony la is actually older than this guy who looked 70 and it's like yeah. well, kids don't don't smoke say don't say smoke. no say no to that stuff <laughs> well, so wasn't doing him any favors yeah, yeah he must have had a real hard time with, yeah. with breathing like quite literally i i can't imagine i cannot imagine what that must have been like he was just so transparently in misery his entire time here. And I've never seen anybody else quite like that. So And he worked hard. He slept at the he slept at the stadium. Like they literally knocked down a wall out behind the manager's office because they were like, Let, let's actually put a little Murphy bed in there that can fold up and go back into the wall. And because he would just try to he would stay there and he would try to figure it out it was still again the early days of of the rockies it was only their their seventh season and and so he's like all right i gotta figure this thing out if i just literally live here eat breathe coors field then this is gonna be this is gonna be okay it's gonna resolve itself and no nearly nearly killed the guy the only guy you could say it nearly killed him (laughs) from managing the colorado rocks it should have nearly killed maybe a lot of other guys but it didn't it didn't. Dick Monfort right. did a good job at picking his staffs in that way. But uh, Jim Leland, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pour, pour out some Strava and some Breck for Jim Leland's year in Colorado. It, it, was a, it was a very rough time for him. Well, I'll tell you who it's not been a rough time for in Colorado. That's rugby fans, man. They are in for the biggest treat in the world because some of the best rugby in the world, certainly the best rugby in this country, is coming here to Infinity Park in Glendale, Colorado as the new 
training center for the men's and women's USA Eagles 15 teams, making it the place to get your rugby fix. You got to check out our DNVR rugby podcast with Colton Strickler. He'll get you all set up. If you don't know much about the game, you're you're a newcomer, or maybe you know a lot about the game and you just want to get to know uh, the team and and get to understand all the new happenings. There's a lot going on in the world of rugby. It's coming fast and furious. It can be difficult to keep up with, but Colton will take care of you. You got to follow him on Twitter, take a listen to the podcast. And if you haven't checked out rugby before, I do highly recommend it. It's a really fun sport. Uh, You know, it's, we're all jonesing for some sports out there right now. There is going to be a little while before we've got some baseball. We, We may have some rugby in the meantime, I know I'm going to be drinking it up, Patrick. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, probably, you know, we'll, we'll see about, I won't be getting out there to infinity park, but I'm going to, I'm going to be watching all the rugby that I can to get caught up with this stuff because it's a fun game and it's about to explode in the United States, starting right here in the state of Colorado. Yeah, now's that time to start investing and, and pick up a little article here and there. Obviously, if you're a subscriber to dnvr.com, you read an article and you learn a little bit each and every week as Colton puts out a new article. And then as we do some DNVR watches together, you, you'll start watching the game. And then when it comes back and you, you're there opening day, you're going to be rocking and rolling. Everyone's going to go, wait, wait, how do you know all this? Hey, man, just invest a little bit of time and you'll turn to the camera and go, wink. Thanks, DNVR. Yeah. I don't know. I imagine everyone lives their life like they're in Saved by the Bell and there's Zach Morris where they just kind of looked in the camera and go, you know, they give it that wink. I just imagine. Right. Is that is that what you do in your world? That's what I that's I always do that. I'm constantly doing that, making the the shiny wink. I, I, I get the little tinkly thing. Yeah. A little bell goes off actually when I do it. It's pretty fantastic. I think everyone should have entrance music. That's one thing from like, you know life it, it, not just professional wrestling it's also in you know obviously baseball we've got entrance music it's just something that, yeah everybody should have entrance music everywhere that they go i think you should get entrance music patrick when you subscribe to the dnvr.com speaking of subscribing to things so you can read colton strickler's article but then you should be able to like walk into the room as a new subscriber or like walk into the bar like that's the, that's what we got to figure out is like if you're a new subscriber the first time you walk into the dnvr bar you know, you gotta you gotta hit us up ahead of time. Let us know what your entrance music is, and then you know, we'll shut the lights down, maybe start the music up. Probably shouldn't shoot off pyro inside. I'm not a fire expert though, so I don't know. I, I'm there are rules. I've been at local wrestling shows where they've shot off fireworks inside. I've also maybe coincidentally been at local wrestling shows where the fire department has been called. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, on our app, we've, we've got a lot of bells and whistles, and it would not surprise me if we eventually had an updated version where as you as you find a parking spot there in, 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 in downtown Denver uh, off Colfax, you just you hit a button, and they know, and they start playing the music ahead of time. Because you, know, you, you want to walk in, the music's already going. Right, and so if you're a subscriber, we'll figure that out on the app. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get ahead of that one for you. Don't worry. Yeah. There's all kinds of fun stuff that comes along with being a member of DNVR, though. <laughs> Not that quite yet. We're working on it. We're working on it. But you can if you sign up right now and you use the promo code Rockies, which is really going to help us out because we got to beat those other beats, man. We got to we got to take them down. We got to got to defeat those guys. We got to show them that the Rockies fan base the most hardcore out there. And if you do that, you get a free shirt, free mask, and a free sticker pack right now just for subscribing to the dnbr.com using that promo code rockies we said all kinds of cool stuff coming your way for doing that you get to join us in our discord chat and talk to us all day about the colorado rockies talk with other rockies fans pick their brains build fantasy teams and fantasy trades and do all of this stuff with other hardcore rockies fans it's a just an awesome community to be a part of all the other things, the bigger beer when you come down to the bar, so many reasons to subscribe, plus all of the articles that we've been writing and are going to continue to write throughout the offseason. We've got a full slate. There are some other offseasons where I've struggled a little bit to write, but I am so obsessed with this course field question. I'm going to start looking like Jim Leland here pretty soon. <laughs> Just, but but I, don't, I don't smoke cigarettes the way that guy does, packing them down and, and going to the skin. So I think I'll probably – 
be okay at least until I'm, you know, 50. We'll see. But for now, it's not doing me any favors up here. I'll tell you that much. But the uh, uh, obsessed with that question, we're going to be covering the course field conundrum. Patrick and I going at it and falls count anywhere where we were talking about some coaching decisions moving forward. So if you're wondering more about the future of the Rockies coaching and managing situation, subscribe to the DNVR.com, use promo code Rockies, check all that out. Who Patrick is the next manager on our list? 20 years ago, the year 2000, Buddy Bell takes over. That's right. The Buddy Bell. Uh, but he was the father of, of David Bell. And, uh, and, and Mike Bell, I think, uh, was able to get his, his debut. So a long line of, 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 of ball players. His father, Gus Bell was a rather accomplished player during his time. So in fact, you have three generations of, of Bells who, who played baseball and, uh, but he does a good job in the year 2000, navigates the Rockies to an 82 and 80 record because, and because of that, uh, he, he does garner some manager of the year award vote. So he actually becomes the second manager to, to get a vote, uh, from the BBWAA finishes in sixth place. And, um, Dusty Baker is first, Tony La Russa is second. And the, the interesting thing is Felipe Alou received a third place vote that year. The Montreal Expos won 67 games. So, oh, wow. <laughs> that that brings it all back around, right? We said, ah, oh, Dusty Baker only won 65 games with the expansion team, but man, he was somehow able to get through there and, and survive it without any of his pitchers dying or their arms falling off, at least not during the regular season. What happens in the offseason is different as far as reattaching shoulders, but Baylor gets that with a brand new team, right? All, all guys coming from all over the place. It's an expansion club. Felipe Alou does it, 67 wins, and you know, get some votes. So, you know, those things can happen a little bit, but kudos for buddy, buddy bell for kind of getting on the board there for the Rockies. He only lasted about two and a half years. In fact, only lasted 22 games into 2002 season before Dick Monfort pulled the plug on buddy bell. First manager uh, uh, in Rockies history to be fired mid season. And that ushers in the eight year run, the era known as the Clint, hurdle era yeah now I'm, I'm fine moving very quickly into that but i gotta say now you ran the numbers for us yesterday on jordan pacheco and jordan patterson now, i gotta know how many teams in baseball history have had two managers named bud <laughs> and so buddy b buddy b. Well, i thought you were going one 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 well, step further that, buddy that b Right. Just to start with Bud, like I wonder how much, like even there, the Rockies might be the only one, but Buddy B, they have to be. They've got to be the only team in history with two Buddy Bs to manage them. Like what, what kind of weird naming convention matrix are we stuck in with the Rockies? There's something extra going on with this Coors conundrum. <laughs> wow. Well, the Yankees did. So right now they're, they're managed by Aaron Boone. And they previously had a manager named Aaron Boomhauser. So that would also, no, I don't, I, that could be a first, Drew. I think you may have stumbled on something there. But just as we're going, like, buddy, how do they have two buddies who've been there? Jordan P, Jordan P. It's like there's one of those t shirts uh, that are still, I mean, maybe they're coming back around again where they would just list people's names and, and with the ampersand, Jordan right. P, Jordan P, Buddy B, and Buddy B. Your Colorado Rockies. Some Rockies fans will get that. Those people are the best. True. Uh, so, yeah, True. Then, then then we move into the era of Clint Hurdle, which I think is a lot longer than a lot of people remember. I, I know that when I've been going back through a lot of this stuff, going, oh, yeah, he had been the manager for a while before that run in 07. It, it wasn't like an out-of-nowhere thing for him or he wasn't like a new guy brought in or, or any of that. Like he, he basically oversaw that entire project uh, from its inception. And so he doesn't just get, you know, the credit for the run in 07. He gets credit for the building of that team. Yeah, I, I think that's right. You know, because, you know, he, he jumped in, in in that 2002 season, tried to salvage it as, as best as possible. And, you know, they 
it, it took them a while for 97 or excuse me, 2007 to, to finally roll around because it was, it was five straight losing seasons, you know, with, with Clint hurdle there. And maybe you say four, because you don't want to give him credit for that you know 2002 season, since he started 10 games under 500 when he, when he jumped on board, I, I think in May, I, I think that was uh, a little bit of a later season, but yeah, you know, it, it, it did take a while for, for it to, to catch hold. And, you know, he was there already there as, as a hitting coach. So he was a good natural fit, knew a lot of the young guys in the organization. And you kind of see that, that how that patience pays off. You know, what, what happens if, you know, they pull the, uh, uh, Dick Monfort pulls the plug on Clint Hurdle a little early there. You know, what, what happens? You know, they, they go to another manager and, and hey, maybe sometimes, you know, right. switching up the, the guy in charge, you know, lights a fire underneath players. And, and we're going to find out that that absolutely was the case at the end of Clint Hurdle's run when Jim Tracy took over. But, you know, uh, Hurdle was, you know, the guy there for so long. He's that man that it, it seems that would be somewhat of a natural fit if the Rockies were to ever announce that they were going to have a team president where they don't have that, that by all accounts, I believe they're probably the only team in MLB to not have somebody in that role. And he'd be a good fit because he was there for eight years, seven full seasons, and then parts of, of two other years. So he's, he's, he's up there with Don Baylor. When you think about, you know, the greatest Rocky skippers of all time, it, they're, they're essentially one in two, uh, at least before the Bud Black era. Yeah. Patrick, one of the things you and I have had this conversation many times, publicly and privately, we've had uh, this debate. It, it's been ongoing with the Rockies. And, uh, you know, I've often said, and, and I see it all the time, and it, and it still sort of frustrates me a little bit, that getting rid of Jeff Breidich or, or, or whomever is, is half a measure, right? It's like whenever we talk about trading somebody, you want to trade somebody away, that's half a thing. you got to tell me what's coming back. Let's have a complete conversation here, right? And what I've often said is this idea of like, bring in somebody fresh and new because they're just not this guy. For me, it just reeks of grass is greener mentality, right? Because I, I think there's a lot of it that just, you hate what's in front of you so bad, you assume if you get rid of it, things will just get better. Or if you go get somebody who's been good somewhere else, you know, like a Jim Leland or whatever, things will just get better. And I've often had the problem of feeling like, Going and getting somebody who is totally new to the Coors Field problem is a bad idea in my estimation because it's very complicated. It requires a whole lot of thought and effort, years of time to really start thinking about it, and I would argue experience. But that does put the Rockies in a tough bind. That gives them very limited options to choose from. With Clint Hurdle, I think you may have the perfect solution to that problem. If you were to make him team president, you do, I mean, he is technically coming in from outside and he does have some fresh experience of having managed other teams and having been out there and seen how baseball works in other places, work with other front offices, found some success in Pittsburgh. Um, but he understands the Coors Field problem. He understands it's unique. He has experience with it. Uh, and maybe upon returning, uh, and certainly upon returning, he would have a fresh take on it, fresh eyes to it, but he wouldn't be starting from ground zero. And so I love the idea of them bringing him in in some capacity to do something like that. I really, really wish they would. And now's the time because, you know, Clint decided to take the year off, had a couple coaching opportunities, was even talking with MLB Network, I know, uh, from from when we caught up with him last year at the Rocky Mountain Sabre Banquet that we have again Society for American Baseball Research, saber.org. That's that's where you want to go if you really want to get on on the inside. If you're if you're a hardcore baseball fan, it, it's fantastic. And we had a luncheon last year. Got uh, lucky enough to to pick up Clint from from the airport and uh, driving his his lovely wife, hearing a lot about his family and and some of the opportunities he had once he was let go from being the manager of the Pirates. And he's he's a free agent right now probably chose a great time to be at home because I know he, he loves spending time with his kids. So that was definitely a, a bastion of, of, of good luck, if you will, for him. So, you know, that opportunity might not be there. Another team could make a compelling offer for this guy who's a baseball lifer. You know, Clint had a, a career before 
joining the coaching ranks, you know, not an illustrious career, but uh, one nevertheless, you know, mainly with, with Kansas City Royals. So he's a baseball lifer. He's a dude that that wants to be on the diamond in the dugout, working with players. He, uh, he's got so many great stories, so many great lessons that he can impart on guys. And it's much like the, the decision to bring Vinny Castilla in as a uh, assistant to the general manager where, you know, that's more of a nebulous type role, but nevertheless, that's a guy who was a part of that initial season in 93. He's an all time legend, uh, in, in Rocky's history. And yet he's a guy you see in the clubhouse who can talk to players and relate and share those stories. And it's just another guy that can, that players can trust in and say, Hey, do you think you could maybe communicate that to the front office? Or maybe, you know what, if, if it's a player who's, whose English isn't great uh, and, and doesn't feel comfortable talking through an interpreter, they can go, look, Vinny, can you talk to buddy? You know, I got this thing going on. I don't know what to do. I got this nagging injury. I don't want it to become worse yet. I know my, what my role is and I got to go out there and suck it up. I'm not really sure what to do. And I don't want to tell, you know, I don't want to tell buddy that I can't do it. So maybe you can help communicate that. So as, as team president, you know, Hurdle's got that cachet where he can just go into the clubhouse, talk with guys, and uh, and again work with Dick Monfort, work with Jeff Breidich or whoever the GM is, and it's it's just a win-win all around. And I don't think Clint Hurdle's, you know, standing in the Rockies history, if you will, is looms so large that you go, well, I can never fire Clint Hurdle. You know, it's 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 not the same with like a legend, right. you know, right. like right. Like, like, like if the Broncos do that where they sign, yeah, if the Broncos, you know, sign Peyton Manning to be their coach or something like that, you go, man, this this is this is a dude. It's it's like John Elway, you know, there's a lot of Broncos fans out there right yeah. now who yeah. go, you know what, it's maybe time to move on to somebody else. How do you do that for John Elway? Right. There is no Broncos if there's no John Elway and vice versa. That's not necessarily the case with Clint Hurdle. So you say, right. all right, you're team president. If it doesn't work out, you can go on to someone else. And at least the road has been paved. At least there's been some standard set. And I think, you know, Clint Hurdle would, would be fantastic for that role. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. But back into the time machine, of course, it was 2007 where he took the team to the World Series for their only on franchise history. Yeah. And also inspired... Uh, a young Drew Creaseman to eventually one day get into the sports writing game when uh, he sort of tore a, into a reporter at the end of the season for not knowing his team very well and suggesting that maybe uh, the Colorado Rockies didn't necessarily get fair coverage and that people should have known his team better and that maybe it shouldn't have been such a surprise that they ended up where they did because actually they'd been playing good baseball all year and they featured a fundamentally good team and MVP candidate, a rookie of the year candidate, one of the best defensive clubs, certainly the sure most sure handed defensive clubs in terms of not making errors of all time. And there was just so much to love about that team and to know about that team and to appreciate the, uh, about them and, and that some people think of them as a fluke or this thing that just kind of randomly happened. Uh, you could see how much it irritated Clint Hurdle. And as somebody who watched almost every single game of that season, it, it, it really irritated me as well. And, and as you can see, it continues to to this day. These, we, we keep having a lot of these same fights about whether or not the, the Rockies deserve nuanced coverage. And I, and I think one of the things that, you know, he pointed out was, it only snuck up on people who weren't paying attention. And that's what we try to do here at the DNVR is make sure this, you know, you, you're subscribing. It's not sneaking up on you. And in a reverse way, looking back on it. Yeah. And looking back on it, that's, that's what we're doing here in this podcast. This is what we do in our written pieces at the DNVR.com is go back and give context to things. If you're there in the present and you're paying attention, you know, what's going on, but, if you go back and look and you just say, oh, the Rockies were 90 and 73, 90 wins, that's all right. Yeah, they won a bunch of games to get into the playoffs. 90 wins was the most any team had won in the National League that year. 
now that the, the Diamondbacks happen to be 90 and 72, they only finished, you know, a, a game ahead of both the Rockies and Padres. They have game 163, of course. So yeah. really it looks like only a half a game, but that was 90 was the most wins that year. So Bob Melvin wins the manager of the year award there in 2007 uh, for winning the NL West with the Diamondbacks. Uh, second place, Charlie Manuel. I, uh, the, Philly, the Phillies only had, I think, 89 wins that year. And third place is Clint Hurdle with, with Bud Black finishing in fifth. Fun little side note there. And you say, oh, wow, that gives it so much more context. You go, all right, just looking at the win-loss record, you go, all right, they were okay. You could have made the argument that they were, and, and many people did, many people still should. They were the best team in the National League that year in the regular season. Not even obviously, you can say that, and you should say that since they got to the World Series, but you can say that about the regular season as well. And, and that was thanks to Clint Hurdle. Diamondbacks never should have celebrated on the field. I was there, watched them do it, watched them celebrate on Coors Field that they had won uh, the, the division and, uh, they got well and thwacked the next day. <laughs> Payback can be a you-know-what because yeah. the Dodgers celebrated at Chase Field and they went out to that hot tub in right field. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. Like five years or so. So, Well, Clint would uh, – well, you could almost say he, he made the playoffs again. Uh, 2009 started off on the wrong foot, 18 and 28, and it was just time to make a change. And in his place came – Chad, Tr Chad Tracy. Uh, <laughs> is it really? No. So Jim Tracy does have a son named Chad Tracy, but it's not the Chad Tracy. I think that played with the Diamondbacks. Nope. Gotta look that up. No, that is right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Jim Tracy goes in, manages to a seventy-four and forty-two record, a six thirty-eight winning percentage, wins Manager of the Year, twenty-nine first place votes, misses the unanimous. Uh, Decision there for NL Manager of the Year by just three votes. Tony Larusa, that name keeps popping up. Uh, he got two first place votes with St. Louis. Joe Torre got one with the Dodgers. But Jim Tracy, man, what can you say about about that guy? What a turnaround in that season that could have been could have been a real lost one. Yeah, I find this one actually to be honestly super hilarious because. Uh, <laughs> I love Jim Tracy. Got nothing but love for Jim Tracy and his super weird witticisms and the most laid back 45 minute press conferences you've ever seen in your life. But this is one of the biggest examples of post hoc ergo propter hoc I have ever seen in my life. Jim Tracy did not manage the Colorado Rockies to that record. Uh, basically, what had happened was. And unfortunately, because we talked about all the work that Clint Hurdle did to build that team, but it all kind of fell apart in 08 and, and at the beginning there. And just everyone was at each other's throats and it was just a terrible atmosphere. And they just got rid of Clint Hurdle. And, it, and again, it's not that Clint Hurdle was a bad manager. He very clearly wasn't just at that particular moment in time. He was the wrong mix for where those players were at. They got rid of him. They brought in the most laid-back dude in the world, told him to hang out, fill out the lineup card, make sure that everyone stays cool and groovy, and that team's talent was allowed to come to the forefront, and they won all those games and ended up having the best record in franchise history. But that one is like, I never want to complain about the Rockies winning an award, right? But I just for me, it's just like, that's the silliest one. Because I, you get where it comes from, right? It's what you just said. It's like the record was this, and then they fired Clint Hurdle, and they hired Jim Tracy, and then their record was this. And that's stark, and it's difficult to argue with. But I would say, and and this is as somebody who just spent all this time talking about how Clint Hurdle's got to come back. <laughs> had much, and, and let me let me put it this way: this had much more to do with removing Clint Hurdle and Troy Tulowitzki, and you weren't going to remove Troy Tulowitzki at that time. And so, which was the right call. If it was one of those two guys has got to go, that's an easy decision to make hurdle leaves. Everyone chills out. The team is allowed to play, but I don't, I really don't think it had too much to do uh, with Mr. Tracy, as much as we all enjoy his witticisms. So you're saying the player is more important than the executive yeah. noted, noted. 
Yeah, I, you know, so, so Tracy hang on for uh, hung on for a, a couple years. Uh, still had a 500 record uh, that next year in 2010. That ended up being a a lost season, unfortunately. And then in, in 2012, his his final year as a skipper, <laughs> 64 and 98, the worst yeah. record in team history. 395 winning percentage. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, this did not end well. And and again, I think people only hung on because like manager of the year and he he turned the team around and it's like no, he didn't. He never turned the team around. It was a good team and the way they fell off the cliff at the end of 2010 was quite frankly like unacceptable from a a leadership perspective. So again, I I don't think he was like a terrible manager, but I I think he was a mediocre one at best. And and that team just had enough talent to overcome it at first. And then as the talent went away, well, so did the wins. Yeah, I can't argue that. And uh, that brings about in 2013, my first year in Colorado, the Walt Weiss era, which Walt is an era that doesn't really get talked about, at least not in those terms. And I don't know that anyone wants to call it the Walt Weiss era, but it was a very important time in Rockies history, one that, I, I would say gets overlooked and, you know, we'll see what happens this season, but considering that they, you know, hadn't made consecutive postseason appearances that would not have happened if Walt Weiss was not there for better or for worse. And you have to say, you know, what, what was going on behind the scenes? We, we talked about the Rockies having never tanked before, but I do think they, there might have been some strategy to put a relatively competitive team out on the field but one with a skipper who hey you know what he's gonna keep things tight nice and easy he's not gonna ruffle any feathers he obviously knows the area uh you know had basically went from a high school manager to a major league manager in one season which is kind of a crazy jump to think about but again help develop some of the young guys and you know bridge the gap between those postseason you know uh, appearances the gap between the 2009 Jim Tracy club and the, the 2017 Bud Black club. Walt Weiss was there uh, at the helm to kind of navigate the organization through that, through that period of time. Yeah. I feel like he doesn't get nearly enough credit for that, honestly. And, and, you know, I wrote about it at the time. Uh, Jake and I talked about it a a lot at the time. In fact, I, I remember us doing a podcast where we literally said, the only person they should get rid of Walt Weiss for would be Bud Black because we knew he was, he was coming up as a free agent. Um, but it really, like, yeah, he was the manager, you know, during the major league debuts for Nolan Arenado, Charlie Blackman, Trevor Story, John Gray, pretty sure Hermen Marquez, um, like out, out of the bullpen, actually, in 2016. David Dahl, Carlos, Carlos Estevez, uh, who who he made the closer and gave extremely valuable experience to at that time. And so, you know, yeah, I, I think if you were to talk to all of those players who played under Walt Weiss uh, and even get their most honest feelings about him, I think they would all probably tell you, you know, he might have been a little bit over his head as a major league manager for the very first time, as anybody would be in that job for the very first time, I but boy, we all loved and respected him and, and felt, especially as young players, safe that he was stewarding our careers in the right direction. And, and when you look at the players who got their first taste of Major League Baseball under Walt Weiss, who are still in the game or who have grown and into bigger and greater things, you know, Charlie Blackman was not expected to be this kind of baseball player. Nolan, there was some thought that he could, but still, uh, you know, Carlos Estevez still doing his thing. Uh, it, it, I, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. And I would love to do, you know, maybe an article sometime when we could get back in touch with some of these guys. If we had the the old clubhouse days, we would just walk over to Trevor's story, say, what do you remember about Walt Weiss, man? And then we'd walk over to Nolan and say, what do you remember about Walt Weiss, man? And I'd love to do something like that. Just get, couple of quotes from each one of them because he taught Chris Russ and the quick pitch stuff like that. You know, it just, it, I, 
he didn't get enough credit for what the team did after he left, which feels like a weird thing to say, but he should get some. True. Yeah. Yeah. Can't, can't argue with that. Right. Was maybe a little bit overmatched. If you look at Pythag, he was uh, accumulated the worst, uh, you know, difference in, in Pythag overmatched in that capacity. But now as, as a coach with Atlanta, is doing a fantastic job with all those guys there, all those hitters. Again, we we could go over to Atlanta's clubhouse and, and talk with Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna, Nick Markakis, you know, any number of guys who can talk about with Walt Weiss and also Eric Young too. He's he's a coach over there yep. with Atlanta. So um you're you're absolutely right about Walt Weiss. And that that takes us up to to Bud Black. And this is well, this this may be a whole conversation for another day, but you know, is is Bud Black in contention for the greatest Rockies manager of all time? And and I think again, consecutive postseason experience uh, appearances is pivotal. Again, you look at his Pythag this year. Rockies were not very good, but did navigate them to more wins than they were expected. In fact, it was only 2017 that there was any difference, and we're talking about two thousandths of a point different. Yeah, just just such a minor difference. Uh, Twice is nominated for manager of the year award in, in 17 and 18. Those those postseasons uh, came in third place. Actually got three first place votes uh, in, in 17 and 2018. Got one first place vote and still finished in third place. So outside of, uh, of Don Baylor, who three times got votes for manager of the year, everyone else has been one. And Bud Black is, is right behind him with Dose. Yeah, I, um, I, that's one of the things that I've always thought is really funny about when people get really upset and are ready to move on from Bud Black. Because, again, as somebody who's watched this team from the very beginning, uh, I actually think it's, it's pretty clear that he's the best manager in Rocky's history. And I don't think that there's anything you could have asked him to have done about this year or really. Well, actually, no, I take back 2019. I'm 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 actually going to lay quite a few of the the issues that went on in 2019 at his feet, and and he did as well. In that you remember the the, the big postseason thing where he talked about falling into some old habits and not moving on from uh, certain things without saying it out loud. He basically said, "Yeah, I probably shouldn't have kept Wade Davis as the closer past the like seventh disastrous blown save or whatever." Right and. There were a few things that I think he he started managing more to the book in 2019 than than what was going on right in front of his face. Like, dude, you got to get Ian Desmond out of center field. You got to get Wade Davis out of that closer's role. Stop handing the ball to Brian Shaw. Stuff like that um, that I think is all fair game. You know, we, we talked about some of them over this last shortened season. We like tried to get very even specific and be like, can we blame Bud Black for this? Maybe two the games in 2020 we were like come on what happened there um and beyond that yeah i just think he's he is navigated and and again this is why i think it's it's got to be talked about through this prism the jim leland prism that's what we should call it right the notion that you can just go get someone who's good somewhere else they'll come here they'll do it better they have a unique problem to navigate and they need to be judged on their ability to navigate that problem. And like you said, Jim Leland was a pitcher's manager. That didn't work out, right? Bud Black is a pitcher's manager. And under him, Colorado Rockies have the best starting pitching rotation in their history pretty easily without question. And none of them are over 30 years old. And he gets an extraordinary amount of credit for that as he should. He has navigated the problem of pitching at Coors Field and then away better than anybody else in history. And as we've shown through the numbers, the Rockies have to pitch before they hit. It has to be their foundation. And so the idea that you can find out there somewhere a manager who's going to be able to figure out the pitching conundrum that this team has better than Bud Black I find highly unlikely. Sorry. No, I, I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't think there's going to be anybody better, particularly when you when you consider the fact that he was in the NL West for so many years with the Padres. That like, if, 
think of it like like that. There's six divisions in baseball, and so you got to get a guy who is is more pitching pitching centric first, right? It was, was a former pitcher. This doesn't mean everything, but is pitching centric first, and was a manager in the NL West because if not, there's going to be some things he's just not prepared for. Yeah, as you said, it's it's essentially you know before Mike Hampton and Denny Nagel. There was Jim Leland, a guy who just wasn't ready for what Coors Field in Colorado can do to you know a, a guy who's expecting one thing and who has seen one thing everywhere he's gone. It's it's just not that way in 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 Colorado. So um, yeah, Bud Black kind of puts a nice bow on it. Especially we talked about you know the gentleman that Don Baylor was. Bud was was actually announced. Uh, was asked on on Tuesday to present the NL Manager of the Year award. Uh, just again, just a highly respected guy, Don Baylor. Uh, excuse me, Don Mattingly. Congratulations to him, uh, winning the NL Manager of the Year for navigating the Marlins into the playoffs after dealing with all kinds of COVID issues and almost being the mouthpiece of Major League Baseball at a time in which. Manfred wasn't saying anything, and Don Manningly was the first guy that had to sit down with microphones in front of him and say, all right, I, I guess I'm going to talk about this. He was, was the first manager that really had to deal with that. Kevin Cash also wins AL Manager of the Year Award for the American League. So Florida, Florida takes it all. That's where the managers are at. Sunshine State. Uh, I was going to make a joke, but I didn't, and everyone should be proud of me for that. So, <laughs> we need more people who can manage things well in Florida. How about that? There's some better better management of stuff down there. <laughs> uh, yeah, this has been a really fun walk down memory lane, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this. Uh, it really has been a fascinating prism to look through. We don't always look at – Colorado Rockies history or, or baseball history through the prism of managers. And it, I think, uh, you know, just doing it this way, I've learned a lot. I hope you've all learned a lot too. <laughs> uh, so make sure that if you want to learn more, we're doing uh, pitching tomorrow. We're going to be talking about some of the greatest pitching performances in Rockies history. And we're going to have special guest, former Colorado Rockies pitcher, Mark Knudsen is going to be joining us. So we're going to be talking about our, our favorite pitching performances of the past. Be sure to, Bring yours to the table. Talk about the ones you want to talk about. Remember, the DFA show is live on YouTube at 4.05 p.m. You got to subscribe there. You got to click the bell icon. You'll get a notification when we're going live. And we're talking pitching, one of our favorite things to talk about. And we get to talk about it with a pitcher, which is always fun. Do you think we can get him to, to share a Greg Maddox or Randy Johnson story? He's got to have a couple of those in the chamber, don't you think? You would think. You would think. I wouldn't imagine it would be too difficult to coax him out uh, of, a, no. of a story here and there. Uh, and again, that, that's why if you're on Discord, if you're a subscriber, or just reach out to us on Twitter, say, who do you want to hear a story about? What what guys from that era do you want to hear? Nah, I'm more of a Tom Glavin guy. I'm a, I'm a John Smoltz. Actually, Andy Pettit. He's not a Hall of Famer, but man, that guy was a bulldog in the, in the postseason. Do you want something about Pedro when he was young? Knudsen can talk about all of it, so let us know yeah. so so we can be your mouthpiece. Uh, it's going to be so much fun. Join us yeah. for that tomorrow. As we said, make sure you're subscribed to the DNVR.com using that promo code Rockies. Follow everyone on social media at Patrick D. Lines, at Drew Kreisman, at DNVR under four Rockies. Make sure that you're just continuing to stay safe out there, social distance, wear a mask, keep being kind to each other, keep being absolutely awesome. We will keep being absolutely Patrick Lyons, Andrew Creaseman, and until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.